Welcome to 7-Minute Torah. I'm Rabbi Micah Streifer. In this podcast, we explore the weekly Torah portion in about 7 to 10 minutes. We make modern meaning out of ancient texts, exploring them through liberal Jewish eyes. Sometimes it's just me, and other weeks I'm in conversation with another rabbi or a Jewish thought leader. Welcome everyone, thanks for tuning in. I am recording this podcast on my phone, so the sound might sound a little different than usual. Hopefully it comes through okay. And that's because I'm in Berlin for the week. I'm here for an academic workshop, and I'll tell you a little more about my visit in a few moments. But first, let me say thank you to our newest weekly sponsor, and that's Jill Blumenthal from Charlotte, North Carolina. Thank you, Jill, for your support of 7-Minute Torah and to all of those who choose to give a little bit each week to support the ongoing production of this podcast. So like I said, I'm in Germany. I've never been in Germany before. I came here for a workshop, but since I was coming, I figured I'd come a few days early and explore the city. So I got here Thursday, and Friday morning I was walking around, looking for things to do, looking for interesting sites in Berlin, which of course there are many. I had booked a walking tour, and on my way there, I had kind of an idea, something I was interested in seeing. I thought to myself, I wonder where the Hochschule für die Wissenschaft des Judentums is. You know, as people often wonder when they get to Berlin, what, you might be asking, is the Hochschule für die Wissenschaft des Judentums? The answer is, it is the liberal or reform seminary that existed in Berlin before the war. The German name that I just said translates essentially as the Academy for the Scientific Study of Judaism. And that was the place where many of the liberal rabbis of the late 19th and earliest and, and early 20th centuries were ordained. So Abraham Joshua Heschel would have been ordained there. Rabbi Leo Beck was a teacher there. Hermann Cohen, the great philosopher of the early 20th century, was a teacher there at the end of his career. So I went looking for the place where, in many ways, Reform Judaism grew up. I know this is possibly one of the nerdier things I've done, but I was not disappointed. When I got to the building, I was able to see that it is still owned by the Jewish community. It's known today as Leo Beck House, named for Rabbi Leo Beck, who was the chief rabbi of the German-Jewish community during the war. And right next to that building, there was a sign that said, Synagogue That Way. So I didn't know what synagogue it was, and I just figured I'd walk and go see. And I stumbled onto what's called the New Synagogue. Now, the New Synagogue of Berlin was new when it was built in 1868. It's obviously not new anymore. In fact, it's really mostly a shell. The building was decimated during the war, and obviously the community that it served was also decimated during the war. But it's been reclaimed and restored to a certain extent, although the sanctuary is gone. And you can walk through it and get a sense of what it was like to be a Jew, a liberal Jew, in Berlin before the war. There was a huge, beautiful sanctuary, which no longer exists, but you get a little bit of a sense. The great Louis Lewandowski 
was the music director there in the early part of the 20th century. He wrote much of the music that your synagogue choir might sing in their more formal occasions. There's also a presentation and an exhibit about the Jews of Berlin, both pre- and post-war, and about other nearby sites that commemorate various elements of Jewish life. So I noticed that only a block and a half away was the home of Rabbi Regina Jonas. Rabbi Regina Jonas was the first woman to be ordained a rabbi. She was ordained in the 30s. She had studied at the Hochschule, the institute that I mentioned earlier, and she served in Berlin and ultimately served the community at Theresienstadt before she was murdered there. So I made one last little leg of my pilgrimage to see the home where the world's first woman rabbi lived. So that's pretty much what I did on Thursday morning, was walk in the footsteps of Jews who came before me, who, while they weren't my relatives, they are people that I feel an affinity with because they were fellow liberal Jews, fellow rabbis in some cases, people who were living, I think, very much like we are living, only they were doing it in Germany before the war. I couldn't help but think things like, I wonder if Heschel ever sat under this tree, or I wonder if Herman Cohen ever ate in this cafe. And I felt connected to the past because I felt like I was a part of something that had been going on for a very long time. What does all this have to do with this week's Torah portion? Well, the parsha for this week is called Kitavo. Kitavo begins at the beginning of Deuteronomy chapter 26 and extends through chapter 29 verse 8. We are continuing to read those speeches by Moses that he gives just before the people enter the promised land. Remember, they're going without him. So he's giving them advice and information for the life that they're going to set up once they enter. And the parsha this week begins with these words, which might be familiar to you. It says, Vehaya kitavo el ha'aretz, asher Adonai Elohecha noten lecha when you enter the land that the eternal your God is giving you as a heritage, then here's what you're supposed to do. You're supposed to bring every year some of the first fruit of your land, of your soil, to the temple as an offering before God. So Moses' initial advice is, every year, be thankful for your yield. Every year, be thankful for what you have. And the way that ancient people did that was, of course, to perform sacrifice, to give offerings to God. And then when you get there, you're supposed to say the following formula. This is verse 5. Arami oved avi, vayered mitzraima, vayagorsham bimtema'at. My father was a wandering Aramean. He went down to Egypt with meager numbers and sojourned there. And there he became a great and very populous nation. The Egyptians dealt harshly with us and oppressed us. They imposed heavy labor upon us. We cried out to the Eternal, the God of our ancestors, and God heard our plea and saw our plight, our misery, and our oppression. The Eternal freed us from Egypt by a mighty hand, by an outstretched arm and awesome power, and by signs and portents, bringing us to this place and giving us this land of land flowing with milk and honey. Therefore, I now bring the first fruits of the soil, which you, Eternal One, have given me. So that's the formula that you're supposed to say when you bring your first fruits. It might sound familiar to you from the Passover Seder. We recite those exact words 
every year around the Seder table. And it essentially tells the story of the Israelite people. We were wanderers, then we were slaves, then God freed us and brought us to this land, and now here I am with my first fruits. It's an interesting choice for a blessing over the act of bringing first fruits, because it's actually not really about the first fruits. It's actually about the history of the people. It's actually about the experience that has brought you to this moment, which is, of course, an experience of slavery and freedom and connection with God and peoplehood. And so in the end, what the Torah is teaching here is that every year when you give thanks for what you have, you're supposed to also recognize where you came from. What was the historical experience and the communal experience that brought you to the place where you are? So it makes sense then why we read that passage at the Passover Seder, which is a commemoration of the story that brought us to where we are. And it also makes sense why sometimes Jews go looking for Jewish history when they're traveling around the world, like I did in Berlin this week. All of us are products of this communal Jewish experience, this communal Jewish story that has brought us to this day. So in a sense, all of us are descendants of that Arami Oved, that wandering Aramean from the passage. Just like all of us are descendants of those who taught and studied in the Hochschule in Berlin in the early part of the 20th century. That's true for every one of us, whether you were born Jewish or became Jewish, whether you were born in Europe or Israel or the United States or North Africa. And by the same token, we are all involved in continuing to write this communal story of our people. So to be a Jew really is to look backwards and ahead, to have a sense of where you came from, to have some kind of sense of where you're going, and like it says in the Parsha, to pause every now and again to take stock and to be grateful for where you are right now. Thanks for listening, everyone, and have a great week. Thanks for listening to 7-Minute Torah. If you enjoy this program, please leave a review on your podcast app, and please consider becoming a sponsor at patreon.com slash 7-Minute Torah. You can also join us in our Facebook group, 7-Minute Torah Listen and Discuss.